Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. So this morning, to highlight the fact that we need to enter the new year in prayer, we don't want to just talk about prayer, but we'd like to do some praying this morning. And I know that maybe seems a little awkward or different as part of a worship service, although it really shouldn't be, of course, but that we would actually pause during the message and have some periods where we're, we're praying and we're asking God to work in our lives. And to do that, to, to give a, a backbone to our prayers, a framework for our prayers, I'd like us to look at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And the reason I want us to go to this very familiar passage of Scripture known as the Lord's Prayer, and Frank, if you'd go ahead and turn to that slide, I'd appreciate it. The reason I want us to look at this is because so often we treat this prayer as just part of a, a worship service. Maybe it's at a, a, a service at another church or, or maybe it's part of a, a funeral service or something like that where we've, we've been there and, and, and we hear this, this recitation of the Lord's Prayer. I was thinking back, I was trying to remember when I memorized this. And, and I don't know if it was at Grace United Methodist Church in Tacoma Park, Maryland when I was you know, in second or third grade, first grade. I'm, I'm not sure. It might have been later at, at another uh, church in Colesville, Maryland where I was growing up uh, during my middle school years. Or maybe it was even when I was at the, the, the other church that we went to for a while before I went off to Bible college in, in Hagerstown, Maryland at Paramount Brethren in Christ. I'm not exactly sure where I learned it. I don't remember being instructed but I just know I learned how to say it. And the value of, of memorizing this and reciting it is that it does show us the things that Jesus really cares about when it comes to our prayer life. Have you ever wondered you know, what it would be like? You've, maybe you've been in a growth group and they had prayer time. You know, that's the end of the Bible study and okay, anybody have any prayer requests? And this person says, you know, pray for aunt so-and-so and pray for my dad and pray for my job and pray for my coworker and pray for this and pray for that and pray for our country. And, you know, and we remember those things in prayer. What would Jesus, if he were sitting right there in your, your growth group, what would he pray for? What would be his requests? You know, God the Father's big toe, you know, he heard it or something like that. I'm, I'm being silly, I realize that. But it's not that those things aren't important, but when we look at this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, we, we see his agenda. We see what was really important to Jesus when it comes to what we should really pray about. And so as we begin our service today, this time of prayer and time in the Word. I want us to stand up, and if you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine, you can stay seated, but I'd like you to stand up, and I'd like us to pray this right now. Let's recite this, and let's pray it together. And Maybe you've memorized it in the King James Version like I did, and so it sounds a little different. That's, that's okay, or maybe you learned it in another newer translation. That's fine also, but here's from the English Standard Version, the, the prayer called the Lord's Prayer. Let's say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying. What Jesus is teaching his disciples through this prayer and through the introduction to this prayer in verses 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus is teaching his disciples is that prayer is the privilege of God's children. And that is why we pray, and that is how we should pray. Prayer is the privilege of God's children. It's not an act of performance. It's not a duty or a ritual or some form of religious drudgery that we're just supposed to recite and do, you know, I need to stop and pray. 
We struggle. I'll tell you why I struggle praying. And I know that sounds you know, kind of ridiculous because you're a pastor and you're supposed to believe in prayer. And I really do. I do believe in prayer, but I struggle to do it. Why? Well, I'm so distracted. There's things to do. Points on my agenda. Uh, things on the calendar. People to talk to. Places to go. Things to do. And to stop and say, I'm going to focus and just talk to the Lord is really hard. And so I find myself very distracted. But not only that, I find myself very doubtful. Why should God listen to me? Uh, Who am I? Boy, if he saw how I messed up (laughs) what I did the other day or what I was thinking or what I said or what I did or didn't do, why should God listen to me? And I struggle with those kinds of thoughts sometimes. And I wonder why God should pay attention. And I'm doubtful that he cares. Or there are times where I feel like, you know, I'm doing what I know God wants me to do. But man, life is just one long, hard slog. And does God even care? Is God even watching? Is God even aware of what's going on in my life or our lives? And so I find myself very doubtful at times. And I don't want to pray. And because of that distraction and because of those, those doubts, I find myself many times just discouraged. And the more I don't pray, the more I don't pray. That's what I find happening in my life. Is that the, the more often I choose not to pray, I find it easier not to pray instead of keeping the, the fire hot by praying. The more I pray, the more I want to pray as well. And so it's just, it's easy to say, I'm not going to take the time to do it. I'll pray later. I'll pray when I'm closer to the Lord. I'll pray when I'm more awake. I'll pray after, you know, I really have got my act together. And then I'll pray. And then God will hear me. When really what God, I think, is saying to us, God is saying, pray now, in this moment, because I'm your heavenly Father, and I've given you this great privilege And I'm listening to you, and I want to hear what you have to say. So would you take your Bibles, please? And uh, I'm on page 811, if you want to use one of the Bibles that's there in the chair in front of you. 811, it's Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading at verse 7. And I want you just to notice how Jesus prepares his disciples to pray. Now, he's been teaching them in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's a sample of one of Jesus' messages, sermons that he would often preach in the different, the hillside and, and uh, outdoors or in the different towns and synagogues where he was located and traveling and, and uh, doing his ministry. And in verses 5 and 6, he's just said, look, be careful of praying in a hypocritical way just to show off, to just impress people. But then when he gets to verse 7, he's saying, okay, if you really want to pray, you need to understand why you should pray and what it is that gives you an open door of access that God would even listen to your prayers. So assuming that we're not just trying to impress people who are listening to us pray publicly, assuming we've dealt with that issue and we're trying to be honest and humble before the Lord, in verse 7 he says, here's how you're supposed to approach God in prayer. So in verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, and we'll go into the prayer in just a moment. So notice what he says in verses 7 and 8. He's making a contrast here. He's already said in verses 5 and 6, don't be hypocritical when you pray. Don't be a show-off. But in verses 7 and 8, he's emphasizing the fact that when you approach God, don't be like the Gentiles. The word there is literally the pagans. And he's talking about religious people who are not followers of Jesus Christ. And there are many religious people in our world. I mean, the world is full of religions, isn't, isn't it? And it's full of religions and well-meaning, sincere people who are trying to connect to, to God or the gods or the divine or the spirit forces out there. They're motivated sincerely in trying to connect and communicate with that spiritual dimension. But they're sincerely wrong. And Jesus is saying that when you approach your Father in heaven, don't be like the religious pagans that are around you. 
the non-believing, non-Christ followers. Don't be like them. Because they believe, their philosophy of prayer is that they can repeat certain phrases, certain words, certain, uh, certain um, formula-like sayings over and over again and that God will hear them. They also believe that if they speak long and eloquently in a religious way, that God will hear them. And what Jesus is saying is that's not what makes God listen to you. That's not what turns God's ear towards you when you pray. Whether you pray a long prayer or you pray with certain key phrases, certain key words, certain almost like incantations that somehow get God's attention. A, a, a magic password, a magic phrase that God will make him, will, will cause God to listen to you. That, that's not what prayer is all about. The trouble is, is that a lot of us, when we pray, we think it is, that is what it's about. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, God, I didn't pray enough today. I, I know I should really pray longer. I mean, the most effective prayer in the human language is the word help. <laughs> I think God listens to that and he wants to come to the rescue of his people. But we say that's not long enough. I need to say, oh God, our Father in heaven, you know, you know the big mess I'm in. You know what I've done. I'm really sorry I did all this. And oh, by the way, would you please help me? And we kind of extend it because we don't want to just have this brief conversation. And yet sometimes that brief conversation of admitting our need is really what gets to the point. And then we're, we're afraid that our word, our vocabulary is not religious or spiritual enough. And what Jesus is emphasizing in verse 7 is that vocabulary is not what's important. The, the length of it is not what's important. The repetition of it is not what's important. Let's put a, a stop on that for a moment and just think about this. There are many prayers in Scripture that are long. And there are certainly many burdens and many issues that we have that are not resolved quickly. And we need to keep praying about them and be persistent in prayer. So, so it's not persistence that's the problem. And it's not always the length that's the problem. It's the fact that you're just doing this or we're doing this. And we're doing it in an almost cold, mechanical, calculating way. If I pray long enough, if I say these certain words, then maybe God will listen to me. And I think that I can manage God. Maybe even manipulate God so that he'll answer my prayers. I prayed long, he should answer me. I said it in Jesus' name, he should answer me. I, I prayed several times today about it. I've been praying all week, all month, all year about it. And the truth of the matter is, is I don't understand why God doesn't answer a prayer 999 times, but somehow chooses to do it on the thousandth time. I don't understand that. He just does. But God is calling us to be persistent in prayer and yes, speak from our heart. But beware of doing it in such a way that we're trying to somehow manipulate or coerce or manage God that He will answer the prayers because we did this, therefore He must do that. Instead, Jesus is saying in verse 8, but when you, excuse me, do not be like them. And, the, and he's emphatic there. You are not to be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You see, Jesus is saying the key to prayer that's effective is to remember that God is your Father. And not only is He your Father, your loving Father, but He knows all about you. He knows what you truly need. And not only does he know all about you, and not only does he love you, but in verse 9, when he says, when you pray, pray like this, the very first words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, our Father in the heavens. It's interesting that he says literally, as Matthew wrote this down, our Father in the heavens. It's plural. And we translate it into English, our Father who art in heaven. And I just kind of scratch my head every time I read that, and I'm thinking, why does he say in the heavens? And I was grateful for a Bible teacher who clarified something, and I think there's something to this. You know, in the Jewish frame of mind, along with many of the other ancient cultures of the, of the time of Jesus' life and ministry, they, they visualize the heavenly realm as being a, 
several layers, almost like a, a, a layer cake. If you can you just imagine it like that. I know all of you are probably sick of cake during the holidays, all the sweets we've had, but just, just imagine it that way for a moment. So, so here, the atmosphere around earth, that's the first heaven where the birds fly, where we would say our planes fly and, and stuff. The, the, the atmosphere is the first heaven. And then there was the, the atmosphere, the, the part of the heavens where the stars and the planets, the outer space would be. The sun, the moon, and the stars inhabit the, the second heaven. And then there was the third heaven where, where God dwells. The presence of God. Do you, do you see that? The top layer is where God dwells. The outer space would be the second heavens. And then the first heavens would be the atmosphere. God is the God of all of that. He inhabits all of that. The atmosphere, outer space, the far distant realms beyond the universe where, where heaven is at this moment. And he's everywhere present in that. And to me, it's a reminder as I read this, as I, as I think about this, is that I pray because my Father who loves me, my Father who knows all about me and my situation and the situations of all the other brothers and sisters in this world, and who is close at hand, Lord of all but near at hand, that's who I'm praying to. You know, when I was little, I thought my dad could do anything. And as I got older, I realized that no, he couldn't. And my kids have discovered that about me as well. But the older I get in the Lord and the older you get in the Lord, the more we discover how much he loves us and how wise he is and truly aware, knowing all things about us and how close he is how present He is in our lives. Because He's that kind of Father, we pray. We pray because it's a privilege. We come to our Father in Heaven because He is our loving, all-knowing, always-present Father. And I know. I know as soon as I say the word Father, a lot of us stumble over that. I don't like to make a big deal about it, but we struggle with it because some of our dads were rough, they were stern, they were strict, maybe absent, maybe neglectful, maybe even abusive. But your Father in heaven is not like that. He is the total opposite. He is the standard, the Father par excellence. The Father that every father should aspire to be like. Loving, aware, present. That's what your Father is like for you. So even if your earthly dad wasn't, your heavenly Father is that way for you. This means that when you and I pray, you are never interrupting God. If you're a child of God and you're going to your heavenly Father, you are never bothering Him. Those of you that have been parents, do you remember there were times where your kids would ask for something and they interrupted, just a minute, let mommy and daddy finish their conversation. I remember just a, a time when our kids were really little, just I was reading the, the cereal box or something at the breakfast table and, you know, engrossed in the, you know, how, many fiber, how much fiber is it and how much sugar and all this kind of thing. Whatever it was, it was some ridiculous, trivial thing I was reading at the, at the breakfast table and one of my boys came up to me and started tapping me on the, the left elbow, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He finally said, look at me. <laughs> And I kind of, okay, you're, you're doing what I say to do. <laughs> do you? I want to talk to you. And I, and I don't even remember what he was going to say, but I remember thinking, what a bother. Why are you interrupting me? Have you ever felt that way as a parent or a grandparent? Oh, sure. But your Heavenly Father never thinks that way of you. You are never a bother to Him. You are never an interruption to Him. He wants to hear you when you pray. You can never and never need to say, I don't deserve to have God answer this. I don't deserve to have God pay attention because I did not do this. No, you have the privilege of prayer because God is your Father. It's not about performance. It's not about earning His ear. 
It's not about earning the right to be heard by God because you already have that if you're a child of God. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. And if you are a child of God, then prayer is your privilege. So whether we're distracted or doubtful, whether we're discouraged, we can go to Him in prayer because He is our loving Father who is present with us and knows all about us. And you might be thinking, well, if He knows all about me, why do I need to bother praying? Because He wants to hear us say what we need. It's an act of worship when we pray. It's an act of admitting our dependence upon Him. It's an act of us expressing our love to Him when we pray. He already knows what we need. In fact, sometimes we pray and we wonder why God didn't answer our prayers. That's because God would give you what you would really want and what you would really need if you knew everything He knows. Chew on that a little bit. God gives you what you would ask for if you knew everything that He knows. And sometimes we don't know everything, do we? We don't have all the facts and we don't see all the angles and we're not aware of what other people need and how our requests affects them and the world that we live in. But God knows. And so this is why we should pray. We should pray because we have a Father who loves us, who's near to us, who's fully aware of what we need. And that kind of Father welcomes our prayer. Prayer is a privilege. So I'd like to pause right now And I'd like us just to take a few moments and reflect on this in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to bow your heads. I'm going to, and you don't have to do that, but we're just going to be quiet for a moment. Dan's going to play uh, quietly on the guitar and just uh, give us a few moments to pray. And and I'm going to throw out, as, as we're praying here quietly, I'm going to prompt us with some thoughts about what to pray for here in light of the fact that God is our Heavenly Father and prayer is this great privilege that we have. Let us pray. Almighty God, You're our Heavenly Father. And we're amazed that You welcome us as Your children to pray. Thank You, Lord, for this great privilege. And I ask that, Lord, we truly would cry out to You in prayer. So while we pray, I ask you, my brothers and sisters, are you God's child? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you belong to Him? And if you don't, the most important thing you could pray for is for God to save you through Christ who died for you, who lives for you, who will give you the gift of eternal life and make you the child of God. Would you just ask Him to save you if He's never done that? Ask Him to make you God's child. Would you just take a moment and just tell God how grateful you are that He is your loving Heavenly Father. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. And this is what we are. As we continue in prayer, would you take a moment and just ask the Lord to help you see yourself clearly as He does. And just ask, have I been trying to impress you, God? Have I been trying to perform for you to make you listen to me? If so, I'm sorry. 
Help me come to you as your child, as one who by your grace has been privileged with this open door of prayer. Father, we come to you. Teach us to pray. And thank you for giving us this great privilege as your children to call upon you, to call you daddy. Thank you. Amen. If you call me Pastor Scott, that means you're aware that maybe I'm your pastor, maybe I'm a a church leader, a member of our community. Maybe you know about my job. Maybe you're aware that I'm connected to the chapel. If you call me just Scott, that probably means that you consider yourself my friend, and and I would too. And you have a a little more level, a a greater awareness of, of who I am and maybe my likes and dislikes and my beliefs and my feelings and my hopes and dreams. But then there were these five little people who sometimes would sit on my lap and they would rub my face and they would say, Dad, your beard is getting gray. And they would say, your breath smells. Or they would say, can I have some candy? Or I would like this toy. Or they would say, can we go out and play and throw ball together? Who are they? They're my children. And they called me Daddy. That's how your Heavenly Father sees you. You have the privilege of sitting on his lap in prayer and calling him daddy and asking him to do. The name reveals the intimacy of the relationship. That's what another pastor said. The name that you use for God reveals the degree of intimacy of your relationship with God. And maybe you don't have a relationship with him. And that's something that God has worked through Christ to fix for you. So this is our privilege, that we can go to God as our Heavenly Father and pray. But what is it that we're supposed to pray? What is it that that Jesus really cares about? Well, he was asked by uh, actually an enemy one day, (laughs) what's the most important commandment? And Jesus clarified the most important commandment is to love God with everything that you've got, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he added to it, but the second commandment is just like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the other laws and uh, all the laws and the prophets. Everything else revolves around these two commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes this prayer a prayer that was very similar to what would be prayed in a synagogue and he adapts it and remodels it in a sense and he gives it to his his disciples, to us today as his followers and he says, these are the things that are really, really important. This is my agenda. There are prayer requests in this prayer that are because you love God and you want his glory. And then there are prayer requests that are about your neighbor, you and your neighbor together, what you need, the most important issues in your life. And if you pray about these things and you're truly praying my agenda. So let's dive into this prayer and think about and see what Jesus would want us to pray. So in verse 9, he says, pray like this, pray in this way. By the way, he's not just saying use this as a template, although it could be that. Don't just use it as a model of things that you should pray about, but pray these words. So there's, there's this double aspect to it where, yes, we use it as a model for how we should pray, but it's also a prayer that we should pray. It's something that we should learn and pray throughout the day, maybe different times during the day, maybe when we first wake up or in the middle of our day when we're easily distracted and discouraged through our work. And then perhaps at the end of the day, maybe at supper or or in the early evening or before bed, we're reminding ourselves again of the things that are truly most important in life when it comes to prayer. And so he says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's reminding us here of the things that really are the priority for Jesus when it comes to prayer. The things that we really need to pray about. Now think about all the things that we want more than anything else. Some of you are praying that you'll win the lottery. (laughs) Some of you are praying that, God, I just pray that you'd heal me of this physical condition that's really dragging me down. I'm, I'm praying that you would fix this relationship. I'm praying that you would give me that promotion at my work or that new job, open the door. Or I'm praying and whatever you fill in the blank of the things that are most important. I mean, they rise right to the top. They're almost the first words that come out of your mouth when you're praying and you're asking God to do something. But Jesus says, this is what's most important to me and it should be most important to you and I as his followers. If we really love God, if we really love Jesus, then these are the things we will delight in asking for because he delights in us. And so he says, hallowed be your name. Let your name be honored and praised. On the one hand, he's saying, I'm asking that you would just bring glory to your name as you do your work in this world, whatever it is, through the weather, through the the, the government, through the, the, the ebb and flow of human life, all the different circumstances and events of this life. I'm praying that you would bring glory to your name. But I think as we ask that in prayer, we're also saying, God, I want to be part of that. I just always want to live my life in a way that praises you, that honors you, that reverences you. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You're my rock and my redeemer. Let me do your word and not just talk about it or listen to it. Let me honor you with my obedience and honor you with my faith and most of all, honor you with my love. And I'm praying that your name would be hallowed and praised, that would be honored and respected by everyone. That everyone would see how great and glorious you are. That's what I want. You know, when you love somebody, you can't help but other people to know them. You're excited about bragging on them. You're excited about just constantly telling others that you treasure this person, you delight in this person, whether it's your your spouse or whether it's one of your kids or whether it's your mom and dad, whatever it might be, a, a good friend. You just can't help but talk about them and you want other people to know about them and you want that person to be honored. And really, at the heart of Jesus' prayer is that we would have a desire to honor God above everything else. And he explains that and expounds it even more when he says in verse 10, let your kingdom come. In a sense, the kingdom came when Jesus came to earth. When he was born in Bethlehem and as he lived his life, even as he went to the cross and rose from the dead and ascended into glory, that whole event, all of his life, was an inauguration of the kingdom of God here on earth. He came as the king. The kingdom of God is among you, Jesus said, as as people would ask him if the kingdom was coming. No, the kingdom's already here. But it's not yet in its fulfillment. And so we see in Scripture the the, the prophecies and the predictions that, that Christ will return in glory and power and set up his kingdom rule over all of the earth. And so it's not just some sort of uh, theoretical idea of Jesus is the king of my life. He should be that. But it's also this understanding that the kingdom is going to come. And it's not yet here. It's already come, but it's not yet here in its fullness. And we should pray for that. And listen, you and I, we get so discouraged and disgusted about the way our politicians work and act in Washington and in Harrisburg and Annapolis. And we say, what's wrong with these leaders? Why can't they, why can't they do what's right? what's all the confusion? What's all the the hassle and headache? And whatever party you belong to, whoever you voted for in the last election, that's not the issue. There's a yearning and a longing inside of us for something better when it comes to politics and, and it comes to government. And that yearning and that desire that we have is not for some power party to take power, but for Christ to come and set up his kingdom here on earth. And we long for that. We desire that. And we want that. All the political parties have shown their abject inability, their total failure in governing our lives in a way that is righteous, merciful, and good for all people. They have failed. And you and I need to be careful of selling our souls to those parties. Instead, our souls belong to Christ because He is Lord of all and King of kings. 
and we should be praying, your kingdom come. Lord, I ask for that. Father, bring your kingdom. Let it come. Let your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. The angels obey you perfectly in heaven. I'm praying that you'd help us to obey you here on earth. Let your people obey you. Let your people honor you. Let your people do your work. May your will be done here on earth just like it is in heaven. Because the prayer, Jesus, as he's teaching us, there's this understanding that you and I have a choice. Are we going to do the will of God or do our own will? What's most important to us? And the prayer is is that the will of God, our Heavenly Father, would be accomplished. That His kingdom as our King, that He would come and rule over us. We pray for that. That's what we're longing for. That's what we need more than anything. We should be praying for this. We're asking for His glory and we're asking for His honor. Let your name be reverenced. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. And all of these, the name, the kingdom, the will, being accomplished and glorifying God on earth just like it is in heaven. That's what we're asking for and that's what we long for. So let us pray. Father, You are the Almighty King. And your rule is really what we're longing for. And so we pray that your name would be honored. Lord, we're praying for friends to come to faith in Christ. We're praying for family members to come to faith in Christ. May your name be honored among them. May they trust you and honor you as Lord of their lives and that they would become your children and love you and follow you as their heavenly father that's what we're asking for may your name be praised we pray that you would send your king and set up your kingdom we pray for that like the early church we say even so come lord jesus and we pray for that And we pray that as we wait for your kingdom to come, that you would help us do your will. May your will be done. Let it be done on earth like it is in heaven. Give us the faith to trust you. Give us the courage and the strength to obey you. In our weakness, help us lean on you and allow you to work through us. Help me, Lord. Help us, Lord, to do your will. To honor you. To glorify your name. We pray for this. Think about the areas of your life. Think about the words that you've said. Have they glorified God? Is Jesus your king today? Is he ruling over your, your career, your family, your friendships? Is your heart fully yielded to his will? Have you surrendered to his lordship? Can you trust your Father with your life each day? Hear our prayers, Father in heaven. Amen. These first three requests of Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your name be honored and reverenced above all else. They all have this idea of your name, your kingdom, your will. But then when we come to verses 11, 12, and 13, the emphasis shifts to our needs. So we were just praying for our Father's needs.
glory. Now we're praying for his family's needs. And so in verse 11, 12, and 13, we see the things that are most important that we need. And so in verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. And what he's just simply saying here is, Lord, just like the children of Israel when they wandered through the desert and God provided that bread from heaven, that manna every day, that heavenly bread every day to provide food and sustenance for them. Lord, we're, we're wandering through this world and we need your provision every day. And even if our pantries are full and our freezers are stocked, there's still a sense where we're utterly dependent on you because there could be a power outage and everything spoil. And mice and rats and insects could come and our pantries be devastated. And there we are. We have nothing. We're utterly dependent on you. Would you please provide for us each day? And it's not just for me and what I want, but it's prayers for all of us. Give us this day our daily bread. And so are we aware of the needs that other people have? Are we aware of their hunger? Are we aware of, of what they need to be nourished and satisfied? And, and I personally believe that when Jesus says, pray for your daily bread, he's, he's talking about one physical aspect of our lives that probably represents the totality of our physical well-being. And so I think this gives us license. It, it gives us an opportunity, an open door to pray for the physical well-being of other people. And so certainly it's right to pray for good health and to, to pray for healing, to pray for provision of, of adequate transportation and shelter and clothing and physical healing and such and food that we need. We should be praying for physical sustenance and it's right and proper to do that. But not just for ourselves, but for all of us, that God would provide his need, our, our, for our needs in that way. And then, though, we often limit our prayers to those physical needs. You know, I'm, I'm sick, I pray for healing, I need a new job, I pray for provision. And those are good. We're supposed to pray for that stuff. I think verse 11, that prayer request, give us this day our daily bread, is, is giving us the opportunity to pray for that and the right to pray for that. But notice what else is very important here. Because it's not just physical sustenance but in verse 12 he says and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and so perhaps even more than the physical sustenance is we need relational reconciliation with God we need to be forgiven and we're all sinners we all do things to to break our relationship with God we've hurt other people hurt ourselves offended God we're sinners we desperately need to be forgiven and so Jesus when he describes it he says forgive us our debts because we're obligated to God to please him and honor him yes he's our father yes he loves us yes he's gracious and merciful but we still do things that offend him and hurt him and break our relationship with him and we need to pray for forgiveness and ask for it. And so we should be confessing our sins and admitting our failures and praying for his cleansing and that there would be a true spirit of repentance that, Lord, I want to turn away from this. I don't want to keep doing this that offends you. I don't want to keep doing the things that hurt other people or myself. Help me change. Help me make that spiritual U-turn and come back to you. That act of repentance. But it's the next phrase that gives us a lot of trouble. Because he says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now for a lot of us, we read that and we think, well, that makes it sound like God's forgiveness is conditional on us forgiving others. And I just want to say, yes, you read it that way because that's what he's saying. But we struggle with that because we have been taught, and rightly so, that the Bible says that our forgiveness and acceptance with God, our, our justification and being approved by him and welcomed into his family, 
is not conditioned on anything we do. It's all the work of Christ. It was his act on the cross when he died for us and rose from the dead for us. That's what provided the means for us to be forgiven and accepted by God when we trust in him. It's not by works, it's by faith that we're saved. So is he saying that this, is, this forgiving others is a work? Something we have to do? I want to just say it this way. And I'm... I'm trying to make this as clear as I, as I understand it. And it's, okay, and I'm a little nervous because, a, you know, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. So I want to make sure that, you know, that, okay, I just want to be honest about this. Let's just say it this way, is that the way I understand what Jesus is saying is, yes, if I don't forgive others, then why in the world should God forgive me? Okay, I think that's the statement. What does that mean? I think what it means simply this. If I have been truly forgiven, if I have gone to God and humbly admitted my sin and asked for his forgiveness, trusting in Christ and his finished work to forgive me, then I receive God's forgiveness. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. If I truly recognize that, then how else can I treat other people who've offended me except to forgive them? That's the result of the grace of God and the forgiveness of God working in my life is that I will forgive other people. And if I'm not willing to forgive other people, have I really received that forgiveness from God? That's what I think he's trying to get at. Is if, if, I, if I've truly received Christ's forgiveness, the Father's forgiveness, then I will gladly give the forgiveness to others when they've hurt me. Okay? And if I'm not willing to forgive them, I think that's an indication that I never received the forgiveness from the Father. I never admitted my need. I never humbled myself to receive that forgiveness. It's it's an indication that I've truly been forgiven. That I'm willing to forgive others. It shows that the grace of God is truly working in my life. That I'm willing to forgive them. Now, I want you to notice what he says in verses 14 and 15. This is a little commentary I think Matthew includes here. For if you forgive others their trespasses, something that Jesus said to clarify this, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if we're struggling to forgive others, if we're holding a grudge that we're not willing to let go of, And we need to ask, have I truly received the grace of God and received the forgiveness that he extends to me? I ask for his forgiveness, but if I'm not willing to forgive others, have I really experienced the forgiveness of God? And that's, I think, what we have to wrestle with. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I think another thing that he's trying to say here is just how important it is to be reconciled with God and how important it is to maintain reconciled relationships with others we should be praying for that lord help us reconcile with each other help us forgive one another like we want to be forgiven by you please so we need that physical sustenance and we need that relational reconciliation with god and with other people but even beyond that we need spiritual protection And that's what he's asking for in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, a lot of people have said, Father, lead us not into temptation. I can find it very well by myself. Thank you very much. And we kind of go through life just thinking that and reflecting on that. And so why in the world would someone say, don't lead me into temptation? The Bible says that God doesn't tempt anyone with evil. God doesn't do that. We, we fall into to sin and we, we go after temptation. We're drawn away by the own lustful cravings of our own lives. God already has said, I'm not tempting you to do evil. So why would we say, God, lead us not into temptation? I think, though, the, the issue here is, is this, is that God does allow trials to come into our lives, testings. But he never causes us or tries to trip us up so we would fall into actually sinning against him in the midst of those trials, those tests. Those tests God has designed, the testing of our faith, it does produce patience and maturity in our lives. James chapter 1 says that. 
But we're praying that God would not lead us into temptation so that we would actually fall into sin. Rather, we're acknowledging that He does test us. He does allow circumstances to come into our lives that are like a trial, like a test, to see whether we'll be faithful to Him or not. But He Himself is not sticking His foot out in order to trip us up that we fall into sin. That's what the devil does. And so that's what He then says at the end of verse 13 when He says, but deliver us from evil. Literally, the evil one. It's a masculine verb there with the article meaning the one who is evil. Deliver us from the evil one. And so yes, we live in an evil world that's constantly soliciting us and trying to seduce us to give into sin and rebel against God. But the disciples are to pray because they love their Father and they love their community in Jesus. They are to pray that God would rescue them from the actual temptations to give into sin that the devil is constantly throwing at us through the trials and testings that God allows. That he would give us the courage to be faithful and true, the strength to be faithful and true. That he would deliver us through it. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that, that when we are tested, you know, no one should say that I'm being tested above what I'm able. I, I had to give in. No one should ever say that because God will not allow you and I to be tempted beyond what we're able to endure. But He will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape so we can flee from it and not crumble under the pressure of that temptation. There's always a way of escape. Peter says in his first letter, chapter 5, that there's the devil out there. He's like a roaring lion. He's constantly seeking who he could devour. And Jesus says, because we live in this world that already physically is very difficult to live in, and we struggle with our own emotions and our own spirit and our own cravings and our own bent nature spiritually, broken nature spiritually, we also have the devil himself out there and his demons constantly soliciting us and tempting us and trying to seduce us to rebel against God. And Jesus' prayer is that we would ask our Father to protect us and rescue us lest we give in to that temptation. And so we do pray for God's provision. Has someone ever asked you to pray that they get a new job or that God would meet their needs, make their ends meet? You know, maybe there's a financial crisis in their life. Have you ever prayed for that? Have you ever prayed for someone's healing? Sure you have. Have you ever prayed that two people would reconcile? You know, a brother and sister in Christ, these two, these two Christians are not getting along with each other and you sense the grudge and the bitterness between them. Have you ever prayed that they would reconcile? Is there a, a grudge or a bitterness that you feel toward another believer? Have you ever asked God to help you forgive them by receiving the grace of forgiveness that He gives to you? Have you ever carried it a step further and said, you know, I struggle with this temptation. I know they struggle with that temptation. Lord, would you rescue us from the temptations of the evil one? Don't lead us into sin. Don't lead us into temptation to sin. But lead us in the path of holiness and help us become like Christ. That's the prayer request. These are the things that the community of Jesus desperately need. Spiritual sustenance Relational reconciliation with God and with people, with one another, and with spiritual protection. This is what we need. And as you enter the new year, pray for these things, for God's glory and for the the family of God's well-being, the things we desperately need. And we see the need for forgiveness and the need for spiritual protection and the need for God's provision in our physical lives, we see those on a personal level, maybe even on our family level. But I'm asking us to open our eyes and recognize that the whole church, the whole community needs this. And above all of it, we need God's name and His, to be honored and His kingdom to come and His will to be done. The things that we really need to pray about. Some of you are praying that your team will win so they'll get into the playoffs today. Some of you are praying you'll catch that big financial break Some of you are praying that somehow that stock market will rebound because your investments are in jeopardy. Some of you are praying for healing. 
these verses give us Jesus' agenda, what he would truly ask for. Not that your concerns aren't important, but think about them in light of what Jesus would pray for. So let us pray. Father, as we bow in your presence, we not only ask for your name to be honored and your kingdom to come and your will to be done, but we ask that you would take care of your family. You would take care of us. Lord, we need your provision for our physical well-being. Lord, we, we ask you for our daily bread, our daily bread, all of us. Lord, we need employment. We need health. We need transportation and shelter, clothing. We need these things for our physical well-being. And I ask that you would provide it for, for me, and for my brothers and sisters, for all of us, your children. Sustain our lives here on this earth. Our bodies and our, our world is very fragile. Provide for us, we pray. Take a moment and pray for a brother or sister if you know they have a physical need. Maybe it's health, maybe it's healing, provision, finances, maybe it's food. Maybe their job is difficult. Would you just take a moment and pray for them, that, that friend, that loved one, that family member that comes to mind. Father, Jesus taught us to pray that you would forgive our sins. We ask for that. We ask that you would forgive us. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for us. That the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. That every debt has been paid. And we can be reconciled to you. Father, we ask even more so that you would help us to forgive. Help us to take the grace that you've given us and extend it with forgiveness to those that hurt us and have offended us, harmed us, taken from us. Help us, Lord, to forgive them. Is there someone that's hurt you that you need to forgive? Is there a, a sin or sins that you need to admit to God and seek His forgiveness? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive one another even as God and Christ has forgiven you. And Father, lead us not into temptation, but rather deliver us from the evil one. Lord, many of us struggle with, with habits that are just seemingly so difficult to break. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would help us to rely on your power and the help of others to turn away from that sin. Help us, Lord. Many of us have a lot of hurts from our past that just entangle us, ensnare us. Lord, help us lay aside every weight. Rescue us from that. And others of us, Lord, we have a mindset, a, a way of thinking, a hang-up in our thinking. Trauma from the past a disposition toward worry or anxiety or despair. 
Lord, set us free, I pray. But not just me, Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters as well that you would rescue us, protect us, that we might live lives that are holy and godly in your sight. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.